This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. 2000, 2020. Hey, <laughs> you think oh, T. Wow. Grizzly would, would have to receive bail if he committed one of the crimes he mentioned in the song just now? I mean, I, I, uh, that, that depends. That's a good lawyer answer always. That depends. That definitely does depend. Well, oh. Yeah, welcome back to Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. This is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill and, of course, Alyssa Fuchs. But this is about me, guys. Happy 2020. The first five days of the new year have been an emotional roller coaster. Just for me, though. And if you want to find out how much okay. so, follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Stan Fritz. Follow me on IG at Stan Fritz. Follow me on Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle. Or just follow me. No, don't follow me. Fo- follow him around Harlem so yeah. he thinks you're stalking him. <laughs> oh, no. That also would be an alleged crime, right? Yeah, that would be. Um, bail ineligible in most cases, but mm-hmm. we'll get there. Yes, we will. So welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard, the 2020 version. A shout out to everyone who has been listening for years now. Uh, we appreciate you. We've been going strong for Six years at WHCR? No, Selena, seven years. I've been on Do this the math, show. Stanley. I've been, on, I've been on this show. No, eight years. <laughs> since since 2014, I believe. Okay, so it's eight years. Stanley and I were both wrong. Mm-hmm, but uh, I was less wrong. No, you weren't. Anyway, I'm super happy to be here. My name is Selena Hill. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill. Shout out to all those who are watching and waving now. I appreciate you. Um, we have Alyssa back with us, and we have a great show lined up. Before I tell you what we're going to be talking about let me let Alyssa introduce herself hey good morning everybody um i'm Alyssa fuchs i am your political and of course today legal correspondent uh i'm a civil rights and criminal defense lawyer uh here in new york city with a small law firm called conan fitch and you can of course find me on facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa fuchs or on twitter at Alyssa fuchs or on instagram Alyssa.fuchs. uh that's Alyssa with an i i l y s s a f u c h s if you're nasty And, of course, you can also leave a comment on the Politically Preposterous Facebook page, which I'm trying to, like, revive a little bit these days. Oh, really? Um, You're getting back into that? Not too much, but I'm just trying to, you know, post a little bit more up on it than I was. There's a lot of stuff going on in the news that I care about. And uh, I'm trying to, like, bring it back to the roots when I started, which is just, like, if I'm reading an article that I think is important, I want to share it with other people, I throw it up there. So there's been some content on there. Of course, I don't have a five-person staff anymore, but hey, you know, Either times we. change. Welcome to 2020. Um, shout out to Gregory Neesmith and Bianca Peart, who are both watching are you okay? via Facebook. <laughs> Sometimes I can't pronounce my friend's name. A little bit, though. Um, yes, yeah, so we have a great show lined up. We're going to be asking the question, or at least talking about bail reform and asking the question, will it indeed make New York safer? There's a lot of debate going on here in New York City and throughout the state. So if people get locked up for um, some misdemeanors or nonviolent crimes, you will no longer have to pay a bail in certain circumstances and cases. However, you know, as simple as it sounds and as just and fair, there's a lot of backlash and we're going to talk about that. But before we we talk about that um we're gonna have the news roundup where we need to talk about world war three and blue ivy's hair so there's like a lot going on we're at day five into 2020 and already controversy about the war about blue 
and about bail reform. So don't go anywhere, guys. We're going to take a quick break. And of course, if you guys want to chime in, leave your comments on Facebook.com slash Let Your Voice Be Heard. We will be reading your comments there. Like Gregory Nee Smith, who just wrote Happy New Year, y'all. Happy New Year to you as well. You can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. And also you can call us up at 212-650-6903. I'm Rusty. Two one two six five zero six nine zero three. Come on, guys. Over what? Um, yes. And also, guys, if you are listening via podcast, please feel free to share and leave a comment either on SoundCloud or you can share this on Twitter and tweet us at beheard underscore radio. Again, guys, we're going on a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're talking World War Three. Sort of. So we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the, the voice, voice of, of Harlem. Harlem. Mm. Shout out to all those who are watching via live, via Instagram live or Facebook live. We appreciate you. Uh, let's talk about things we don't appreciate, right? So this is a news roundup where we talk about some of the latest news stories that got a reaction out of us, whether good or bad. Make so laugh, cry, curse, flip a table. Yep. Delete your Facebook, tweet angrily, mm, all that. Gotcha. So, or I guess hide under a table these days. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. So, speaking of that, Iran's top military commander was killed in a U.S. drone strike ordered by President Trump, which escalated an already tense situation between Iran and the U.S. And if you've been on Twitter, you've seen that the word World War Three, like the letters World War Three, has been trending. A lot of people are worried that this is going to spark. A war between Iran and U.S. and lead to World War III. And then, but black Twitter was sort of like nonchalant about it and like, okay, does that mean I have to go to work Monday or nah? <laughs> nonchalant is a stretch. I think like the jokes were flying. Yeah, they were making jokes. Yeah, but like people were shook. Like Marilyn called me and she was like, we going to war or nah? And I was like, I don't know. But yeah, I love some of the memes that were coming out. Like they was like, um, Donald Trump was like, we're going to war together because Trump tweeted a little bit after that. He was like, I hope if you were with me before, you'll be with me in this new battle. <laughs> and then somebody on Black Twitter made a meme where it was like the N-word Navy was like, we're not with you, King. Oh, yeah. No, definitely not. I mean, Alyssa, could this escalate into a world war? Well, hold on. Before you continue, Alyssa, I'm sorry. I just want Iran to know the blacks have nothing to do with this. Right. The blacks have nothing. Don't target us. Stay away from Harlem, Brownsville, Southeast Queens. Listen, nothing to do with us. You don't have to bomb New York. Why don't they do terrorist attacks to Wyoming? Well, don't do it to anyone, actually. Let me not say that. Whoa, Stanley! Um, yeah. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I just want to put it out there. I didn't vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that gets me right. off the hook. But no, in, you know, people make jokes because they're scared. So right. that's one thing that's that true. we should acknowledge. Yeah. Like, when people go on, on Twitter and making jokes, it's not necessarily because they think that this thing is funny. It's because one of the ways that we deal with uh, difficult situations is to try and make light of it by making yeah. jokes. But it to answer your question, um, I don't know if it's going to start World War Three. I do think it is an act of war. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think people necessarily understand the gravity of of what happened and who was killed. And that's to first preface this by saying the person who was killed is is no angel, right? You know, so we always have to, you know, put it out there just because uh, this person was a bad person, though, and made very bad decisions, many of which killed Americans, does not mean that it was a good decision for Donald Trump to order a drone strike in order to take him out. Mm. Um, that would be like the equivalent of uh, another country 
country taking out like the joint chiefs of staff for the military yeah. here in the United States. And if another country did that to us, our reaction would likely be to engage them in military, uh, you know, action. So, uh, you know, like it, it is one of those things where like. Yeah, this person who got killed wasn't good, but Donald Trump had a range of options he could have taken. And this was possibly or probably the most extreme action he could have taken. Yeah. And he showed no restraint. And that is not a good situation. Well, here, here's what I'm thinking. Right. So back in 2011, Trump claimed that President Obama was, and I quote, going to start a war with Iran to get himself reelected. Obviously, we're in 2020 and the presidential election is coming up later this year. Mm -hmm. Stanley, do you find the timing of this drone strike just a little bit suspicious? And do you think it could benefit Trump? Um, I do find it suspicious and I do think it could benefit Trump because um, I have no nicer way of saying this. The media is run by white people and they're already stroking his ego talking about how awesome U.S. is and talking about how great the military is, even though we all know this was a stupid idea and a stupid decision. So just like what happened when Bush invaded I Iraq for no reason and then all of a sudden media all fell in line, the same thing is happening already. And Trump is a different breed of stupid and racist than even Bush was. Alyssa, quickly before we move on. Yeah, I mean, look, I, th this is just not good foreign policy decision making. But we also have to realize that there's context behind this. We have been meddling in Iran since, uh, you know, the early like 1930s, 1940s, yeah. 1950s. Uh, we've engaged in actions in Iran that have created a situation where they're hostile towards the United States. Uh, things didn't just get like this because Iran just woke up or the leadership of Iran just woke up one morning and was like, let's hate the United States. Uh, and like that's not you know this is not like a, a situation where it's like victim blaming. It's like we have taken seriously um, bad actions in foreign policy for the past fifty to sixty years in this region of the world, and in particular in Iran, in Iraq, in Kuwait. And then we expect that people are supposed to still like us, and that's mm. just not how things work. Yeah. Absolutely, and you know I do want to just switch gears a little bit, actually a lot. Um, so a few days ago, a journalist from um, Harper's um, Harper's Magazine. Harper's Bazaar? Yes. And then another one from Vanity Fair. They were tweeting about Blue Ivy Carter, right? Mm, so when yes. I, <laughs> I actually have the quote. So like one well, said. That's one way to get yourself into trouble. They said like, so this, and I think, I believe this man is black. He said, and I quote, I have a feeling the Jay-Z face jeans are about to really hit Blue Ivy and I feel so sorry for her. And then what? a white woman. And then the white woman responded. Um, she said they haven't already. Or she'll just get plastic surgery at 16, a la Kylie um, Jenner. Whoa. And we'll have to pretend that she's always looked that way. I can't allow myself to feel too sorry for the incredibly rich. So here's the thing. Like, obviously, this is, you don't attack children. And it was a distasteful, malicious joke. But they are being accused of this, um, showing anti-black racism wait what no seriously no seriously so twitter has been going off Why? and saying that they're racist and they're anti-black i don't know if you guys are watching or listening well, i don't understand how this equates to anti-black racism they're making bad jokes i i feel like i shouldn't really wade into this conversation in some Correct. ways um and I, I should leave this space for you but i will say when you're talking about some of these facial features and in particular when they're black even if you don't mean it to be anti-black like that's the connotation that's there um, right. so you just like shouldn't do that kind of thing. Yo, I got some I know we want to talk about it, but I got some breaking news. Oh, you do, Stanley. Iraqi parliament voted to expel the US troops from the country in the wake of the Salimi strike that happened the other day. That's a pretty big deal. 
Can you give some context? So, you know, we invaded Iraq and destroyed them and destabilized our government and have been working in partnership with them for years now. And some folks suspected that after we attacked Iran, that Iraq might have some problems with us. And then there was just recently an attack in Salemi where a bunch of Iraqi soldiers died. And they're expelling soldiers. That means the U.S. is going to be losing a grip on a government that's very unstable, which could benefit Iraq, which could put us in, in some big problems later on. Oh, wow. Or, you know, it also could be that now we're finally getting out of a place that we never should have been to begin with um, and that we shouldn't have been for so long. So, Mm. you know, hey, be careful what you wish for. Right. Bernie Fuchs. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Getting back to this, uh, this Jay-Z thing for a second, you know, and and I I just want to readdress this idea that, you know, people who are talking about like Jay, they people who think Jay-Z are ugly. Right. That say it has nothing to do with race. Like. Okay, maybe you should check yourself because Jay Z is married to like the hottest woman on the planet. So you know, obviously, if you think he's ugly, that's your opinion. Beyonce doesn't think that. Stanley, was this a racist remark? Did these journalists go too far by talking about Blue Ivy? Blue Ivy's seven years old. Why are you talking about a kid? So they got they went too far for talking about the kid. I don't have enough context into like what they said. I to told you, I, I gave direct quotes. Um, Tammy Marie David said that they were they were commenting on her nose because like she has her father's nose, which most black people have that kind of nose, and I guess like that can like you can definitely find some racial implications there because we all know that the N word nose because we can't say that that word on on FM frequency. So yeah, that's the case, absolutely. Tammy, but. can you if you if someone can give a quote because I I did I I scrolled down his timeline just to make sure you know I wasn't missing something but I, that that isn't to say that I did and even if like again if you if she yes she probably does have Jay Z's nose mm-hmm. does that mean that that's in, like saying that is racist by saying you have your father's nose? Um, it depends on how they said it, right? I, like just. Why are you commenting on the appearance of a child? Why are you commenting on the appearance of a woman? It's an or it's not the, a woman, but like a girl, a young girl who's a child. It's yes. the internet. I know, but she's seven years old. Like they, this is why sometimes I miss the 1990s because <laughs> before the internet, you would have to say things like this out loud, and there'd be a sh- very strong likelihood someone would put hands mm. and feet on you. And because you did not want hands and feet on you, you would not say things. And into the internet makes it safe yep. for you to talk spicy and not get punched in the face this reporter would not have said this to jay-z or beyonce oh absolutely not so bianca actually left a really good comment on our facebook live she says everyone is used to mixed white kids meaning multiracial kids she's the first 100 percent black child we've been talking about since i don't know when so that's a good point it could be that she does she's not she doesn't portray the biracial features that i think society um upholds as some on some type of bar that's a good point and I, I mean yeah but still like don't talk about the appearance of women and girls yeah like that should like be a baseline rule yeah <laughs> and like if you have any questions or comments besides facebook live you can give us a call at 212-650-6903 again that's 212-650-6903 but when people commented on kylie jenner and the fact that she's had like five million dollars of plastic surgery i'm being facetious everyone got all upset even though it was true who got upset you know white twitter did they? Yeah. Alyssa, what is white Twitter talking about today? Um, uh, You know, I'm not sure. I'm actually not on Twitter at the moment, but mm. uh, I don't know. Some combination of Tom Brady getting eliminated yesterday. Ooh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's another piece of news that I don't care about in particular, but mm. I'll mention, which is the so-called dynasty of uh, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, got upset yesterday by the Tennessee Titans. Oh. So uh, now the Patriots are not going to be in the Super Bowl again. 
And um, I'm sure that there's lots of white people that are very upset about that. Yo, I don't watch football anymore. Me neither. Who quarterbacks for the Tennessee Titans? No clue. Oh, man. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Is it a black quarterback? Because if it is, Maybe you should happy. Google it. Why would I Google it when Google answers the question? Duh. No, but all right. I mean, Tom Brady lost. He's a Trump supporter. Good. Go go to Iran and fight the war for Trump because I'm not going. Yeah, seriously. You know, just to loop back to that for a second, where are all these patriots? You know, they're like the first people to say they want to get a gun when they think some young black man is coming to their house to like trick or treat or something. <laughs> Might be stealing from their front porch. Yeah. But like, you know, when there's actually a war about to start, you know, they, they have bone spurs and they're running in the opposite direction. So, you know, you think you're a real patriot. Get your gun that you love so much. Head down to uh, the uh, Army Navy Depot and uh, sign yourself up to go get shipped off to Iraq because yep. it's really unfortunate that we're seeing lots of young black and brown men now signing up for the military to go get shipped off to the military to fight some, you know, old rich white dudes war. Speaking of an old rich white dudes war, we know that Joe Biden is still in the running to become uh, the Democratic nominee Why? and possibly the new president. However, he is considering a Republican VP. Alyssa, thoughts? Miss me on that. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so would caller. you vote for him for if he had a if he had I a mean, I'm going to vote for anybody that does, not Donald Trump in the yeah, general. I'm I like I'm not one of those people that's like an ideologue that yeah. if it's not my preferred candidate, then I'm not going to vote. Well, hold on Although now. I guess it really doesn't matter that much in New York. I could stay home because of this electoral <gasps> college thing that doesn't really matter. But, you know, that said, uh, Joe Biden should just miss me completely. He's uh it's a centrist who's got a number of different policy problems, the least of which is that he potentially would pick a Republican. And if he was smart, he would pick Kamala Harris to be his VP. And I don't even like her. The two most dangerous, pe- like the two most dangerous type of people in politics right now are white, good, good intention, centrist white men. Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg. At least Joe Biden has accomplished something. <laughs> and like... <laughs> If Joe Biden picks, if Joe Biden wins the Democratic nomination and then picks a Republican vice president, I'm just not voting. I mean, look, they're going to lose. So you would let Trump be reelected because what? you don't like his VP? He's going to get reelected anyway me? if like, Joe Biden picks like, a Republican. Exactly. That's one. And two, <laughs> like, if, like, Joe Biden's going through the same crap that Trump is doing, but then just you like black people. Me. You know Joe Biden does not compare to Donald Trump. We have a really good... Oh, hold on. I know we have callers on the line. We also got a really good comment. Uh, before, before you yeah, look back to that comment, uh, 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 look... Joe Biden is problematic, to say the least. Joe Biden is responsible for the 1994 crime bill. He's responsible for a number of punitive actions with respect to immigration that liberals don't want to acknowledge that happened when Obama was president. Um, you know, yeah, we know that. Like, it, he's, yeah, we know he's that, but he not doesn't compare to Donald Trump. No, he does. I was saying he's not a good candidate, but he doesn't compare to Donald Trump. But I personally think if he's the nominee, that the Democratic Party is going to lose, you know, regardless. So and Joe Biden's yeah, gonna bend a- over backwards to make white people happy. White people always vote against their interests, which means we're screwed anyway. We got two callers on the line. I want to bring up Hodja first. Hodja, let your voice be heard, my friend. Yes, thank you. Uh, I like what Ms. Fuchs said about the uh, the history of, of 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 Iran and the United States or that region of the world in the United States. Uh, this stuff just didn't come out of nowhere. It just didn't suddenly happen. They've been dabbling and dabbling in that part of the world for a long time. And it's like Malcolm said, the chickens come home to roost. But not in that case, you know, not in that case. Uh, we don't want to see anybody be killed, you know, just executed. But anyway, anyway it's, a, it, it, it's, it's a result of a long history of things. 
Haja, thank you so much for calling in and let your voice be heard. And yeah, like you're 100% right. The facts on that are the facts on that. Oh, we also have Brown on the line. Brown, let your voice be heard. Hi, great show. Uh, I ran and everything. Um, that thing about Jay-Z and Beyonce's child, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of strange. People commenting on uh, how people look, look. I mean, what's, what's the measure of beauty? I mean, you know, that that that's another thing, you know, to me. You know, um, but but my question to you and the panel is also uh, a couple of months ago last year, uh, the white woman cop in Texas went in a man's house and shot and killed him, and then the brother uh, at the court case at the court trial hugged hugged the woman who shot her uh, shot his brother, and I think the mother. Uh, what, what do you guys think about that? Um. Thanks for that question, Brown. Um, go ahead, Celine, if you want to Yeah, no, Brown, definitely appreciate your comments uh, uh, and for chiming in. So we had a whole discussion. It was called The Politics of Black Forgiveness. The yeah. woman you're referring to is Amber Geiger. And, yes, I think she's actually appealing the verdict um, after yeah. shooting a black man who was sitting at home watching TV eating ice cream. Um, we had a lot of thoughts on that. Just to summarize it super, super quickly, um, yeah, she's a murderer. She should be in jail. That's it. Yeah, uh, and it, white Christianity makes you think that black people are supposed to give white people for all their garbageness. I, I wasn't here for that show, but what I will say is that if the opposite were true, if a black man who was a police officer off duty wandered into a white woman's home and accidentally shot her to death, then there would be no question that he would be going to jail. So, I like, you know, the fact that the roles are reversed here really shouldn't change the outcome in that case. They would have just taken his body down from the tree to lynch him from if that was the case. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, thanks again for those comments. Speaking of comments we're getting great comments on our facebook live as well gregory neesmith says joe biden is out here talking reckless republican vp get joe out of here and joe's biggest accomplishments mistreating anita hill crime bill and being lucky enough to be obama's vp how about um, fighting oh, school desegregation <laughs> and also so right. tammy marie david she also commented about Joe Biden's VP pick. She says, I agree with Stanley. I'm definitely not voting for Joe Biden at all. However, I say this. If Donald Trump is reelected, which I believe there's a huge possibility he can, I am not going to be one of the Democrats to say that I was part of helping him get reelected because I'm staying home because a person's pick in a cabinet or VP pick is not my favorite choice. I, at the end of the day, I'm anti-Trump. So and I, and for people saying already I'm gonna stay home, you're pushing a really problematic narrative. Are you in my a opinion, or are you saying no? I'm responding. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, <laughs> that sorry. was my that was my response. Oh, Selena to with those. the spice. And okay. Nadia Stevens says no excuse for not voting in 2020. Supreme Court picks, and that needed to be said. And I think that's 100 percent accurate. When so many Republicans turned out to vote for Donald Trump, um, even though they didn't like them, when polled about that, a lot of them said the reason was the federal judiciary and the number of people Donald Trump was going to be able to put on the courts. And that is, in fact, what has happened. Donald Trump has put a ton of people on the courts and not just the Supreme Court. And that is going to change the political and legal landscape for the next 10, 20, 30 years. I don't trust anyone who's too interested in the, in the thoughts or political feelings of white people because white people vote horribly all the time. If Joe Biden is elected, he will put in some quote-unquote centrist white man who hates black people, hates reproductive rights, and is wildly on issues of freedom of speech and protection when it comes to black activists organizations that's just the case for and me and that's still better than having donald trump reelected for another four just years just because a white man smiles at you before he shoots you he still shoots you oh we yeah got bianca on line. what is it all gonna matter anyway we're all gonna burn to death in I'm, the fire and world I'm, war three because of trump i'm going to ghana <laughs> bianca let your voice be heard 
Yes, World War Three, a lot of violence going on. I want to bring it back to Philadelphia and um, talk about the new police commissioner. She's young, she's black, and she's a female. Ms. Daniel Outlaw, 43 years old, taking over the police commissioner in Philadelphia. This is a huge move for Philly, given its history of uh, violence. I know this year um, the ratings in homicide has increase. It's higher than Chicago, uh, given that Chicago's homicide rate went down 13% this year. Philly is outdoing them, unfortunately, and there's a lot of racial issues. Um, They have to fire about 15 uh, police officers in Philadelphia for racial issues that they've posted on Facebook. Um, And there were three homicides alone on January 1. So, Danielle Outlaw, we're excited to see her take over Philly. She's got a lot to cover, a lot to clean up, a lot of racial issues, and it's good to see someone of color and someone of power take over. Bianca, thank you very much for that comment. I got one piece of pushback is I don't care what race she is. Black people can also reinforce the racist institutions, just like all the other black police chiefs all across the country have done. What are her politics? Selena? Yeah, no, I would say, you know, thank you so much, um, Bianca, for calling in to tell us about Daniel, Danielle Outlaw. Honestly, I do think that is progress because representation matters. She is the first woman of color to lead this this, this scandal plagued um, uh, Philadelphia Police Department. So number one that's good she's actually younger than 50 so that's another good thing so I mean to me I think I'm a little more optimistic generally speaking so I say you know let's look at her policies let's look at her politics let's give the woman a chance and of course if she is supposed to be for us then let's speak up and speak out where needed all right we'll be right back after this quick break guys And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Shout out to all of our podcast listeners who are listening right now via Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, in the future, that is. Skonex. <laughs> Skonex. All right. Anyway, so in January 1st, New York brought in the new year by restricting the money bail system. So that will limit the number of people who are held in jail solely because they can't afford to pay their way out. So the new law automatically releases people charged with most misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies without making them post cash bail. That's right. So 90 percent of cases that come through the criminal justice system each year are misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies anyway. And in most of these cases, defendants are not released Again, because they just don't have the money to post a $1,000, bail. Or even $500 bail. Even $500. However, it's not because they post a danger or a, fright, or a flight risk. However, there are some restrictions. So if judges do think that this person could be dangerous to society, then they could uh, put they could force them to have like a, some type of supervision or electronic monitoring. So judges do have some say in who is seen and comes before the, before the court. But prior to the law, a number of low-level defendants were routinely held in jail simply because they could not afford bail. And as a result, the money bail system tore families apart, ruined lives, and wasted millions of taxpayer dollars. But if you've been reading the news lately, you think New York is about to release thousands of dangerous offenders onto the streets. Prosecutors, police officials, 
bail bondsmen and conservative media outlets are pushing the narrative that bail reform goes too far and will embolden criminals. For instance, this the week before the law kicked in, the New York Post ran a series of articles with headlines like bail reform is setting suspects free after a string of anti-Semitic attacks. The articles suggest that accused violent offenders like Tiffany Harris, who was arrested in December for alleged an alleged hate crime assault of three Jewish women and then released, will become the new norm under bail reform. However, bail reform was not even a law when Tiffany Harris was released. And the New York Post is racist. So, oh, yeah. You know, just putting that out there. So some lawmakers are already promising to campaign against the law, while others are pressuring Governor Cuomo to roll back, and I quote, the soft on crime reforms. Now, again, the old system led to the incarceration of thousands of poor, low-risk New Yorkers, all, all legally presumed innocent, until their cases were resolved, which could take months and sometimes years. However, the narrative being pushed is that judges are no longer allowed to set bail on hundreds of offenses, including things like sex crimes involving a child, stalking, arson, home uh, burglary, and money laundering in support of terrorism. Now, Stanley, your organization helped write the bail reform legislation, and you personally have been lobbying for this law for months in Albany. What is your reaction to the backlash that the new laws are receiving, and was your organization prepared for it? So Citizen Action of New York was one of the groups that helped to push this bill to get passed. And we work in partnership with like hundreds of organizations all across the state. Um, and this is a fight that was led by regular community people who have been directly impacted by the racist justice system. Um, because of this bill, that like countless, I can't even give you a number of people who are going to be able to go home today and will not be held hostage in jails all across the state just because they cannot afford a bail or just because they were arbitrarily arrested by police officers for doing nothing but don't have enough legal knowledge like to protect themselves. So like we're very happy about that. We knew that there would be pushback because this like something like bail reform undermines district attorneys' abilities to railroad people and then force them to to agree to plea deals for things that either they didn't do or are trumped up. It it it's it makes it hard for DAs to like ramp up their own records and make them seem like they're these super effective lawyers. And it also undermines the prison industrial complex because it takes away the ability for us to pump a whole bunch of people into a system that don't need to be in there. And it forces us to deal with the actual problems that we have in this country, particularly our lack of resources and support for people with mental health issues, our lack of resources and support for people who are homeless, our lack of jobs, programs and opportunities in people in low-income communities. You have to deal with those things now because you can't just throw them into a jail or prison and ignore it. Well, I mean, Stanley, all that said is, is fine and dandy, but that's not what's being pushed. In fact, on Christmas Day, I had a conversation with my family about the bail reform laws, and my cousins, who are younger than me, they were like, they're they're against it, and went too far, and they sent me a picture of, um, they sent me this, this document of the 400 laws that they said will now be, you know, the 400 offenses that will no longer um, require a cash bail if somebody um, actually commits them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, that's the backlash. That's the narrative. Yeah. Where'd that, where'd that document come from? I don't know, Stanley. No, right, exactly. 
You want to go ahead and listen? No, I mean, you have an to ask lawyer. That. Yeah, I mean, you have to ask that question of like, where is that document coming from and is it accurate? But to specifically address this concern that people have, when you actually look at studies, right, you know, and nobody, everybody always wants to talk about anecdotal evidence, this, and I heard this, or I read this from the racist New York Post. But when you actually look at like full-blown scientifically-based studies that have done, what these studies find is that low-risk defendants that are held for even two or three days pre-trial are roughly 40% more likely to commit a new crime before the trial on that case um, than equivalent defendants that are held for more no more than 24 hours. And so there's a correlation that the longer people are held in jail pre-trial, um, the more likely they are to actually re-offend. And so what they found is that those jailed for more than a month were 74% li- more likely to, to re-offend than those people that were released within 24 hours. Um, and so you have to ask, what, like, why does incarceration have this effect? People who are held in jail while they're awaiting trial, they lose ground after a few days they lose their jobs they can't make rent their children may be taken away they can't maintain uh, maintain stability in the community um, and in their homes and so then when they finally do get back out what do they do they end up committing more crimes because they don't have money they no longer have a job Um, and so what you really have to ask yourself is what is this law change and the answer is this law really does not change anything for the most serious cases because in the most serious cases judges can still require bail um, and and those are basically almost all violent crimes, almost any kinds of sex offenses, um, many domestic violence offenses, the, the cases where people maybe really should be held in jail. And when it comes to things that are nonviolent, you know, sometimes something sounds like it's a bad thing, like robbery, but really it may be something like stealing a backpack. Like Khalif Browder was alleged to have stolen a backpack and spent three years at Rikers Island, and nobody would say that theft of a backpack alone is a violent crime. Uh, so, you know, like you have to look at the nature of these crimes and, and the bigger picture. Um, and, you, and, and finally, the final note I'll say is you have to ask yourself, are there more violent people that are going back out on the streets simply because they can afford bail? You know, like it, it, I'll, I'll hold this comment further until we get to talking about Tiffany Harris, because I, I think you're going to loop back to that. Um, yeah, sure. That's fine. So um, we are going to take a quick break. But I know that, you know, with the new bail reform laws, there'll also be an economic effect, too, that I want to get to after this break. Don't go anywhere, guys. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Guys, we are back and we're talking about the new bail reform laws that went into effect in New York City. Again, it's getting a lot of pushback, but we have two experts here. Stanley, who works at the organization that wrote the legislation the, for this one reform, of the organizations, one of the organizations and Alyssa, who is our civil rights attorney and in-house legal expert. So, Stanley, once this this law is going into effect, it's, it is it, an effect. It is a fact. Days now. What economic effect will the law have on New York? So it's kind of hard to tell an economic effect right now, but I'll tell you this. In New York City, just alone in New York City, it costs between sixty dollars to $75,000 to hold someone in a jail for one day. So imagine if, like, in the first week of thousand, hundred, I think. Hmm? 75000 for one day? No, no. Yeah, that's like, just like a cell. No, seventy five hundred. Seventy five hundred. Yeah. In taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say it's seventy five hundred taxpayer dollars, right? Now, at least a thousand people have not gone to jail in this week because of this new bill. Think of all the money we've saved and where that money can go and be invested into now. Yeah. Because, like, unfortunately, the the, the jail systems are bloated. In in parts of New York State, there are jails where ninety percent of the people who are sitting there are only there because they can't afford their bail, and they're there for nonviolent misdemeanors small offenses so this is going to be hugely impactful 
And also, for those people, because we know this happens, because this happens every day, and we keep on seeing stories about this, for people who are wrongly arrested and wrongly charged by police officers, if it's a if they qualify for this, they can fight their case from home, which makes it significantly easier to fight a case and not fall into an unfair plea deal. This changes the game for a lot of people. Well, and, you know, I mean, Stanley, again, it, when, when you say it, when you read, I guess, you know, more left wing publications, I can understand why there's, you know, advocacy for it. However, even Mayor de Blasio is calling to tweak the law. He said, and I quote, the bail reform law needs to be amended. In response, Stanley, you released a public statement. Why did you do that? And what did it say? Well, because Mayor de Blasio has had absolutely nothing to do with anything with these bail laws or any pretrial laws. The mayor was too busy running a failed presidential campaign that no one asked him to launch and having dubious financial um, like, in, like engagements with his campaign contributions. Additionally, the mayor is responsible for a police department where you have a racist officer who barged into someone's homes in Tennessee, called them the N-words, threatened to kill them, and then did not fire that cop. Actually, that cop got the opportunity to resign. The mayor has also been inactive when you had Officer Pence Leo, a man who murdered a black person on, on YouTube where everybody saw it and just did nothing and then blamed the federal government for five years before he finally was forced to do something. The mayor has a horrible record on mass incarceration issues and on the criminal legal system and his opinion really is not relevant or wanted. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, and on top of which, it's kind of insulting because de Blasio got elected by running on a platform that was supposed to be a police reform platform. If you go back to 2013, you remember part of his campaign ads were like him and Dante and him talking about how he was going to end stop and frisk. Meanwhile, what we've actually seen is that while stop and frisk has, for all intents and purposes, been ended unless there's actually reasonable suspicion to believe somebody's committed a crime or is carrying a weapon, which is what the law says it should be and how it should only be used that has not happened because of bill de blasio that happened because of a court order due to a lawsuit which is floyd versus the city of new york um and so the city essentially was forced into ending that um you know but but to also just go back to something else you said earlier about holding people in jail um part of this is that new york has never considered dangerousness since Thank 1971 you. we have never considered dangerousness we've only considered whether people were going to come back to court and we do that because and i think this is the most important thing people need to remember when somebody gets arrested they are presumed innocent until they are proven guilty in a court of law the people that are sitting in jail in rikers right now that are awaiting trial they are not guilty of anything they have been convicted of no crime they are presumed to be innocent and yet they are nonetheless sitting there and so you know when we look at this and we're like asking like oh well are people dangerous are they getting out Harvey Weinstein who's accused of a forcible rape an extremely dangerous crime is out on the street right now he is out on the street because he was rich enough to afford a million dollar bail or a five million dollar bail or whatever it is but if a black man from Harlem was accused of a forcible rape and he said I didn't do that rape which is essentially what Harvey Weinstein is they would set a million dollars bail on him and he wouldn't be able to be out walking the street so when we're talking about dangerousness it's like, what are we really talking about? And to, to just go back for a second to the Harris thing, if a white supremacist committed a hate crime that was an assault against black people and it was a misdemeanor assault, meaning there was not a serious physical injury, even if there was $20,000 bail set on that person, if that person was rich enough to afford a $20,000 bail or, you know, in parentheses, his white supremacist friends decided to post that bail for him nonetheless, then he too would be out on the street regardless of whether he was dangerous or not. 
and you want to hear about it. I just want to make one quick point of clarification as per Alyssa's corrections to me earlier. So it costs $325 a day to house someone in the detention center, about $118,000 a year, according to an article from Daily News. So I want to correct myself on that. Oh, uh, yo, thank you so much, Stanley, for uh, that. So, no, I, I do want to just move things along because um, do you guys think that the new bail reform laws are being racialized or sensationalized in any way? And if so, why do do bails bondmen have a stake in this? Absolutely. Does the DA have a stake in this? Yes. Stanley? Yeah. So let's start with district attorneys. District attorneys, they want to have high conviction rates. They want to see like they want to have these records that show them arresting a bunch of people so that they can then like use that to run for higher office or go into consulting or private equity firms and do whatever work they want to do with bail reform. Now you are eliminating an entire group of folks that they are no longer able to bully with all the mechanisms that they have under their, under their wings. We saw what happens to people of color in the Bronx when they go through that problematic, racist, unfair justice system. Look at what happened to Pedro Hernandez, who was accused of murder even though attempted murder, even though everyone who was there to see the crime said he didn't do it and he wasn't there. He sat in Rikers Island for a year, for a year, and almost was stripped away of his ability to go to college. They had a $1 million bail on a 17-year-old kid from the Bronx. And you were paying for that. You, the taxpayer, were paying for that. Yes. Like, and, like, that's what's happening. And district attorneys, they don't want to lose this ability because they believe in this system. But I'll tell you something. If, if we're so concerned about safety and if these DAs are so concerned about safety, why aren't they there fighting for more affordable housing? Why aren't they there marching with us to raise the minimum wage or to increase access to health care? They're not. It's not about that for them. This takes away their ability to wield power. That's all this is about. And bail bondsmen. This is you know how much money bail bondsmen make a year off of people that need to go to them to to get bail? Like for bail is as little as nine hundred dollars or as much as like nine hundred thousand dollars, and now they're gonna lose that access to a whole section of people. This is hurting their pockets and they're mad about it. Yeah, and it's not just the ability to wield power, but it's the ability to weird power against in particular people of color and to use the criminal justice system to continue a system of systemic racism and mass incarceration. Um, Nobody said that better than Michelle Alexander in her book, The New Jim Crow, which you should absolutely read if you have not already read it. Um, Because at the end of the day, you're right, the disparate impact that is on the communities of color and are on the poorest New Yorkers. Uh, and, And it's not you know, to say that there are not people that don't commit very violent, serious crimes that may be or should be held in jail. But those people are not are, are not being let out because of this bail law. And and to take that one step further, people are looking at this bail law and they're giving this list and they're going, oh, but manslaughter in the second is on there. Like, that's what we call a cudgel. Manslaughter in the second sounds like something that's terrible, right? Because somebody died. Yeah. But usually when you actually look at what manslaughter in the second is, it can be an accidental killing. And I don't mean like something negligent. I mean like you get in a fight with somebody and like you go to punch them and that may not be the best course of action you're uh, play fighting you and know they trip and, and like they... and somebody trips exactly and hits their head uh, on the lamp and and ends up suffering a, a concussion that uh or a, an internal brain breed that causes their death like is that a situation where you're actually dangerous or violent or you shouldn't be on the street 
Like, not necessarily. So, like, people use these crimes by just coming up with this list of things that you could be let out for um, to say that this bail law is problematic when in reality what they really mean is like we want to find instances in this bail law that could be problematic so we can continue to use the bail system to hold people in color in jail for low level offenses which again let me remind you Selena already mentioned is 90% of what people are arrested for here in New York. So Nadia Stevens left a comment on our Facebook live she says bail reform threatens their power power impact and livelihood again it is all about the money we do have to wrap this discussion up but before we go uh stanley uh well Alyssa, actually um what needs to be done to keep all new yorkers especially those from pure com- poor communities of color safe and does anything about this bail reform law need to be changed I don't particularly think anything about this bail reform law needs to be changed. Um, Are there some offenses that maybe we could rethink whether they should be part of this bail law? That's a possibility. I'm I'm not against us reviewing the list of crimes that may have become uh, bail ineligible and saying that there there may be a few on there that we should put into a list of exemptions. Um, But generally speaking, I think that the answer is not to necessarily reform this bail law to keep more people incarcerated. It's instead to do the things that Stanley said we needed to do and realize we need comprehensive solutions to poverty, such as affordable housing, uh, increase of food stamps, uh, increase in support in getting jobs. Uh, um, we need to make it more you know, easier for people who have formerly been incarcerated to get employment. We need to lift the bans on people who have felonies being able to live in NYCHA housing. Um, and there's a number of other social services things that we need to do because what we find at the end of the day is the majority of these crimes, even things like theft um, or robbery, are linked to the fact that people are poor. And if we deal with the issue of poverty, then we will have less people in jail generally and less people committing crimes that they need to go to jail for. Stanley, so this law is getting a lot of pushback. Even a lot from Democrats, a lot of them are saying, you know what, maybe it did go too far. What needs to be done to protect the bail law that we have now? We need to leave the bail law as is. It's five days in. What could you possibly know about this thing that makes you think that it's not good? It's five days in. And most of the stories that people have used to criticize it were lies, blatant lies. The law hadn't been implemented yet until just January 1st. All right. So, like, wait. Give it six months. Everywhere this, this this bail form has been implemented, the crime rate has gone down. Period. Everywhere. Yep. So if you really care about safety, if you really care about communities, trying to undermine a law that was worked on over multiple years by directly impacted people, lawyers, district attorneys, state legislators, the governor, and everyone else, to undermine that now after five days, after years of work, is not just ridiculous, it's disingenuous because they don't actually have real issues with the law, with like with pieces of the law. They want to throw the whole thing in the garbage. So like I'm calling on our legislators to stand strong on this, to stand strong. Do not fold because a whole bunch of white supremacists and a bunch of career-worried district attorneys who are putting poor black and brown people in prisons and jails for no reason all of a sudden have a problem with being held accountable. Stand strong. And if you're a community person and you're worried about this law because you think it undermines your safety, it does not. The ability for somebody to spend millions of dollars to buy a building, then not provide resources, kick people out, raise the rents, and make more and more people in New York City homeless is far more dangerous than somebody who got locked up on Rikers Island for selling MetroCard swipes, period. 
Um, you know, thank you so much for that. And just to wrap things up, I want to go back to Khalif Browder. He was the seven. He was arrested at 17 years old, 15, 15 excuse me, and spent three years in an adult prison in Rikers Island because he could not avail, afford a $3,000 bail. Again, accused of stealing a backpack. I, I would just say bail that if a white man in the same situation was accused of would have been able to afford. Yeah, no, of course. I was getting or there. at home. Yeah, no, of course. So I would just say this. When I think of bail reform, and I get it, a lot of people are very apprehensive because it's new. I think we need to remember who it affects most and who we're trying to advocate more. We're advocating for the next Khalif Browder. That's who we want to protect with this law. And remember, when people are placed in jail for months and years on end because they can't afford that that $1,000 bail, that affects our whole community. But, they, you know, they lose their jobs. Now the kids are affected. Now, you know, the, the neighborhood becomes affected because the kid feels like they have to turn to a life of crime in order to sustain because their father's locked up for doing something a, a little misdemeanor. So we have to look at things from our larger systemic perspective and understand that it's time to put the facts over fear. On that note, I want to thank everyone who chimed in, everyone who called in, left no um, comments on Facebook. We appreciate you guys. Instagram as well. Thank you so much. And we will say goodbye for now, but we will be back next week. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard.